Welcome to House of Herders podcast, discussing all things dog, from training to life experience. Your hosts today are Alana and Gemma. Let's get started. Thank you so much for joining us again. We're going to be playing the second part of our reactivity discussion with Amy from Canine Potential. We really hope that you enjoyed the first episode and if you didn't listen to it, I highly recommend you pop back and listen to the previous episode just so you know where where we're kind of coming from with this. I hope that you enjoy part two. So let's dive into it. I guess that brings us on to a slightly different way of looking at reactivity. So when we generally say a dog's reactive, we are kind of describing that they're having a very over overly uh, how would I even say this we describe a dog as being reactive they are very emotional and they're given a huge response that's kind of unacceptable for that situation so like for example a dog walking by they're losing their shit they're barking they're clawing they're lunging it's a very overreaction. I think we can all agree that that's probably the best way to determine what reactivity is but yeah that, big feelings yeah big feelings and I think it can come from, obviously, cumulative experience, but some dogs are genetically predisposed to be more so reactive than other dogs. Dogs in particular, Border Collies, German Shepherds, Pomeranians, these dogs are just genetically predisposed to be more reactive. There's lots of reasons why, but one of the main reasons that I find with Border Collies what they're bred for so they're bred to be super highly vigilant of their environment they're bred to be so aware and so switched on to any changes in that environment and to respond to those changes much so similar to terriers i guess would you agree yeah yeah absolutely i think to a degree it applies to them as well so when you have when you breed dogs you can't guarantee that just because this is your fourth litter like your fourth generation of border collies that have all been bred and raised in the city centre that doesn't mean that your dogs will all be okay with living in the city centre you can't determine what genetics they get you can't determine how they react and respond to those genetics and you can also determine how that training affects those genetics so I think when you look at the more genetic aspect of it and what your dog's actually been bred for you already see a predisposition to reactivity and I think it's one of those really difficult things with Border Collies as you can walk through a busy city park and see a Border Collie super focused on their ball. All they care about is that ball and playing with that ball. But then what happens if you take a, take the ball away? What happens if you take away that almost like a dummy in that environment? I remember when we'd done this with Oscar. So we had issues with Oscar on leash. So as I mentioned before, we adopted all of our dogs. Oscar and Bear were both adopted 18 months for Oscar, I think 26 months or something for Bear and Holly was four and a bit when we got her. So when we got our dogs, they already came with with behaviours that we just basically found out the longer we had them that these behaviours existed. Not saying that that we weren't responsible for any of this, but it's really common to get a collie between 18 months to like the year old. That's normally when they are rehomed because they turn into absolute devils. And when we started Oscar at Reactive Rovers, one of the things that we were told to do was to stop using the ball. So we could we could walk Oscar in like busy parks. We could take him to like Kelvin Grove, which is like a really busy park in Glasgow. It's full of dogs. 
we could walk him through there off leash, him and Holly with a tennis ball, no issues. I think the biggest issue we had was Holly trying to jump into the river because she likes to swim. That was our biggest <laughs> issue. But on leash, we could never, ever, she likes to jump into rivers. But she's a shit swimmer, so it's a bit, it's a bit of a confusing one, and I can't swim at all. So that was like the biggest issue then was we need to keep Holly out the river, um, not Oscar being reactive. But I knew that if I leashed Oscar up in the park, that would instantly change the landscape. So when I then started at reactives and we were told to, you know, ditch the ball, which, you know, loads of people say ditch the ball, you know, for your dog's joints, etc. For There's so many benefits to ditching the ball. But I remember we completely ditched it. So we didn't just ditch free throwing which is what the issue was. The issue wasn't that we had balls. It was the issue that we were just constantly playing fetch with it. But we just took all the balls away. Literally, I think there was a period in time when we didn't actually have any balls in our house because I was like, they're the fucking devil. That's sort of read. Reactive dogs, you're okay. They're the fucking devil. Get these balls away. <laughs> and then Oscar just... We couldn't walk Oscar anywhere. We couldn't take him to the park. We couldn't... The end of our street, we had like a big green space. We couldn't even take him there because he no longer had that ball, which he loved. And he had now had nothing else to focus on. So he started to actively look for trouble. Now, Oscar's the kind of dog that he's hes quite canny. He's a proper Glasgow dog is how I describe him. Like he's ready for a fight at any opportunity and he's not scared <laughs> to have one either. Like he's like, come on then, I'll have you. He's, yeah. he's, I always say he's like my husband. So he's a very <laughs> confident, generally a very confident dog. And see, as soon as that ball was taken away, he was like, well, I'm going to find other shit to go for then. So he's not reactive to traffic. He's not reactive to trains. Generally, he was never reactive to people until we took away the ball. When the ball was taken away, he just found other things to just chase and to run after and to get a hold of. Because he was like, if I can't have a ball, I'll just chase other things. He never, ever made contact with any other dogs, ever. He made contact with me and my husband once or twice. Um, and that's when we were like, this isn't working. Like, we need to reintroduce the ball. And when we reintroduced it, it was too late because the damage was already done. Um, he was just like, no, nah, I found this is much more exciting chasing people and chasing mm. dogs. I'm just going to stick to this now. And for Oscar, it was... Apart from the horses, it was not a fear-based behaviour in the slightest. He fucking loved it. He loves nothing mm. more than having a good confrontation, which I hate personally. I hate confrontation. Oh no, my dog loves it. He's like, right then, let's get going. All he needs is like a Burberry harness or something and that's him set. <laughs> um, he's just, <laughs> honestly, he's just something else. Um and as I've mentioned before, like, I need to get a wee Burberry scarf or something. That'd be quite cute, actually. Yeah. Um, send him to the park dressed like that. Um, and I think one of the things, that, I think I've mentioned it before, that when I first had Oscar, I was obsessed that he was terrified. Um, I think I mentioned this to you before. I was just dead certain he was really scared. And I remember being in our first reactive rovers class and another dog, another border collie, ironically, um, got away from his owner so she dropped the leash by accident and the dog ran over Oscar was fine like they, they were over the barrier at each other nose to nose now the dog that had ran at Oscar is actually a very fearful dog my dog is not fearful so they came nose to nose and Oscar was like 
<laughs> hello and this other dog's like shit what have I done why why have I put myself here and I was just so scared I like grabbed him he then exploded the other dog exploded I burst into hysterical tears like I couldn't control myself my dog's looking at me like what the fuck's your problem I'm in tears my husband's like oh my god and the trainers are like oh my god we're so sorry and I'm like, oh, my poor puppy is ruined. My dog was not ruined. My dog was already a fucking arsehole. <laughs> but for me, I was just so dead set that he was scared and that this would have ruined his whole life, his whole progress. It definitely didn't. I still speak to the other owner. She's absolutely lovely. It was just a freak accident and no damage was done at all. Um, and realistically, at that point in time, is when I should have probably realised that my dog wasn't fearful. It then took for me to do another round of reactive rovers and a, and a round of like good citizenship classes, which she was obviously terrible at. Um, I then started to volunteer at the company and that's where I now work. I found out that Oscar was more so frustrated after a discussion with Claire when I brought it up that he was just so scared and I wasn't making any progress and... I just didn't know what to do next because I tried everything and she just looked me dead in the eye and she's like, Lana, trust me, your dog's frustrated. Like, he's not scared, he's frustrated. And I was like, what's he got to be frustrated about? And she's like, just trust me, your dog's frustrated. And I was like, didn't believe it. Stormed away. Huffy, huffy. I was really quite upset about it. And then, you know, the more and more I thought about it, I was like, looking at him and I was like, yeah, you're not scared at all, are you? And like, I compared it to like when he sees a horse and he's petrified to compare to when he sees a dog and he's game for it. He's like biting at the lead. Like, let me go, let me go. And the thing is, see if I let him off leash, he would run at a dog, he would posture, and he'd be like, ah, I thought, I thought he'd back down and he'd walk away again, like a proper Glasgow <laughs> Ned. That is how he behaves. Instigates a fight. Another dog's like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. He's like, I fucking thought so. And off he walks. Yeah. Cocky as hell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. He's a very good stooge dog. Um, for other frustrated dogs, he's a very good stooge dog overall. And even with actual fearful dogs, he's fantastic these days. He's so good. Whenever I do a session with another dog and I bring Oscar, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he used to be muzzled because he was really, really quite reactive and aggressive. And they're like, really? And I'm like, oh, God, yeah. Like, he used to be the devil. And now he's, like, plodding along nice as pie, helping their little fearful or their frustrated dog live a bit, live their best life. And I'm like, you're the demon itself, Oscar. <laughs> um, and it took a long time. And I think I only really admitted this once I started doing predation training with Simone. Um, Simone Muller, we started to work on predation with Oscar. And see, when I started to implement the cooperative hunting strategies that's when we've seen the biggest improvement in his reactivity overall it got to the point that he could walk by groups of dog walkers not actually posture and start a fight with the dogs he could literally see them accept that they were there and carry on walking and that's when i realized he actually has been frustrated this whole time and now i don't know if it was something that i'd done that caused him to become reactive in the first place i can only assume that is why he was dumped in a kill shelter because he was actually terrifying to a degree once he settled into our home and he was used to living with us and felt comfortable enough to kind of show his full self i guess it was very surprising very surprising the kind of dog that he turned out to be now he's fantastic like i take him to work all the time with me I don't take him dog walking as much because I just don't think he gets that much out of it. 
He's not like a dog dog. Like he, he doesn't get a lot of enjoyment from being with other dogs. He gets a lot of enjoyment from people um, and doing tricks and training and playing. He loves the dogs that he lives with. He likes our friends dogs. So Oscar's met Reggie, your dog, and he's mm-hmm. plays with all of Gemma's dogs, plays with Lindsay's dogs. So once he knows a dog he's fine with, I mean, he just really isn't that, he isn't bothered by other dogs really. But that for me is what actually let me realise this is a genetic behaviour. Like this is because you're a border collie and you want to control things and you can't control it. And I'm holding you back. And then the more I work with collies, the more I see that behaviour. And I just think, like, it's crazy because so many other trainers don't see it as that. And I, at the start, I must have made his reactivity a hundred times worse by training him like he was fearful. I was doing, like, mm. open bar, closed bar. There's actually a video of Oscar doing open bar, closed bar. And he's just like, why am I doing this? I'm not scared. But to me, it was huge that he could cope in this environment. Me, I wasn't a dog trainer then, thank God. I was just a dog owner. And I look back and I see how I got that wrong and how I applied the wrong training to that situation and how I made that a hundred times worse by misdiagnosing them and not actually knowing what I was talking about. So I'd read like Facebook groups like for reactive dogs. I'd read all the information, I'd watched the videos and I was like, oh, my dog is terrified. And actually he wasn't and not very many trainers understood that I found very few trainers even to this day I find actually understand that and I think there's so many trainers out there that are really ruining dogs by not understanding what they're working with which is absolutely terrifying. I think that is interesting actually just what what you've said um I think a lot of even clients find it difficult to believe that their dog just wants to be a dick <laughs> they just they want <laughs> yes. to like go over and and cause trouble just going back to your point when you when you were talking about oscar with the ball and things if he had the ball um he was fine initially um i remember i had a i had a family collie called jess um and she wasn't reactive i wouldn't i don't remember her like being reactive towards other dogs at least um but she was like obsessed with a ball and if if she didn't have a ball she was then she definitely very much was looking for trouble like she was looking to chase she was looking <laughs> to basically herd she was she was a total farm collie and we didn't know what, what we're doing <laughs> but she was a really really good dog um as as long as she had a ball basically like as long as we had a ball on us and and obviously i was like like what age was i about 12 13 maybe when I had her um so it was very different like my mum had used very very different training methods to what I would see as as um the way I would train my own dogs uh because obviously it's there's a lot that's opened up now but um I remember like if we didn't have a ball she'd be like right and she would like start to herd other dogs like she would just run over <laughs> to other dogs and just start herding them and I'd be like Jess come back here um so if she didn't have the ball then she was she wasn't like looking for a fight but she just was very um 
prone to just go straight into that breed instinct and, and go and start herding other dogs and and uh, kids and stuff like that, which isn't ideal because <laughs> you don't know then what she's going to do. But, um, but yeah, and then going on to your other point about like your dog being fearful, not being fearful, sorry, or being fearful. Like I know for a fact that when Reggie's reacting to big lorries and trucks and kids on bikes, there's no way he's fearful. He is like, he is like so ready for a fight. He's like, come on, let's go. Um, and I think a lot of people definitely, like you say, misdiagnose that because a lot of trainers would maybe say, oh my goodness, he's so scared. Like you need to do this, that and the next thing. And then I'm actually like, do you know what? He's just being Reggie. Like he's just wanting a fight with the, like he thinks he can take on a fucking lorry. Like what? <laughs> what are you doing? You're like seven kilograms, tiny little dog that lorry would flatten you, right? So just chill out and calm down. <laughs> um, whereas on the other hand, I know that when Ronnie is reacting, it is through fear. Like he is scared that he's going to get hurt. Um, he obviously, like I've continued to say, he's got underlying pain issues. He does not want a dog approaching him because he's scared that he will, he'll get hurt. Um, and just briefly, my dogs are uh, largely separated in the house. They they are not able to roam because Reggie is really high maintenance um, and Ronnie is very, <laughs> very chilled compared to Reg. Um, so I think he finds Reggie's personality a lot to take. So if there's been fights and all that, but we're working on it. Thanks, Lana. Uh, <laughs> um, You're welcome. But... <laughs> but um, yeah, they're they're now able to like chill in a room together and uh, like they actually want to play with each other now. But I definitely think that Ronnie's still very fearful of the fact that he might get hurt if um, a dog was to get too close. So um, yeah, I think it's a really big issue that that both trainers and probably clients on their own dogs. Um, misinterpret what what the emotion is behind the reaction so i think it it could uh, definitely make the situation worse if you are thinking that your dog is fearful and and then it ends up that they just want to fight with whatever whatever they're, they're reacting to or they're frustrated about whatever they're not getting um so it's something that i totally agree on with you on that I think it's very hard to find literature to read to understand how to know if your dog's frustrated. Like, I remember really trying to find, and I remember Googling it, and I was like, how to know if your dog's fearful or frustrated? And there wasn't really anything back then that I could find. It was all just like, your dog's fearful, your dog's fearful, your dog's fearful. And there was always kind of like a kind of expectation, and it was kind of always hinted. That if your dog was exhibiting frustration, it was coming from a place of fear. And it's not always. And I just find it exceptionally frustrating that there's so many learning providers out there. And they do not include in their courses and in their course materials how to tell that difference. And I guess part of it is just being good at your job. Like you, The more dogs you train, the more you start to understand behaviour. But if you still see every single dog as fearful because it doesn't enter your brain that this could be frustration, then you're going to continuously train dogs wrong and you're going to give people wrong advice. I think I was exceptionally lucky that when I looked for a trainer for my dogs that I landed up where I did. 
I'd done a lot of research and luckily I had a lot of being a dog walker I was already kind of in the dog world I guess and I had a lot of support in finding the right trainers and I'm just I feel very lucky that I found the ones that I did I think if I'd ended up anywhere else I hate to think where we would have came to with Oscar and I think that a lot of people that have border collies and train border collies we don't tend to be the most sociable people I don't think so you know if you meet somebody in the park with their collie they very really want to be your pal I think now it's a bit different but back then like you didn't come across very many good trainers that could deal with collies because it was always just fear 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 and obviously some cases of collies it is fear but it's very rarely it's like sometimes a car chasing might be rooted in fear but nine times out mm. of ten, these behaviours are all the same thing. They're, they're the desire to control movement, car chasing, people chasing, dog reactivity. They all kind of fall under the same umbrella. And if you try and deal with one of them, you're likely going to get the other one to pop up somewhere else. So if you have a dog that's car chasing and you start to progress on that, they're probably going to become reactive to something else because they, they want to control that other movement. So that's really where the outlet comes in. And if you don't give that dog an outlet, they're just going to continuously find other things to try and control and exhibit this behaviour. So you feel like you're never mm. improving the behaviour because you can't improve the behaviour because the dog's not fucking scared. The dog's frustrated and they want to do what their genetics are telling them to do. And that kind of brings us back a little bit to what we were talking about earlier, especially with your dogs, that there's a genetic predisposition for these behaviours. And I think because Border Collies are just kind of everywhere, like you can pick them up from literally like going along a country road. There'll be like literally a sign, Border Collies for sale. They're on Gumtree, they're on Facebook, they're in every single shelter. They're everywhere. And I think that a lot of people get them without fully understanding that and I think sometimes when we work with collie owners they don't want to believe that their dog's just a pure raj like they don't want to believe it and I think I love being able to take Oscar with me to these sessions because I can be like trust me like here's my dog you've seen him work my dog was your dog like three years ago and they're like really and I'm like yeah and I'm not saying that every border collie is frustrated. Obviously, you get exceptionally timorous and fearful ones. Like, those aren't the dogs I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about your absolutely livid border collies that you see in the street corners giving you that sneaky eye and sleepy movements. Like, they're the ones to watch. And they're the see ones that, that are collie quite often poorly trained. That collie <laughs> I stare. I love it. Oh, my God. I know what you mean. <laughs> When it's not your dog, it's fucking terrifying. <laughs> like, as a dog walker, like, I'll be out with my wee group and, you know, they're all doing good and you're like, oh, fuck, there's a collie. Oh, no. And it starts creeping towards you and snapping and you're like, oh, here we go. And, you know, like, me and my husband, like, we're just like, we love with dogs like this. Like, we're fine with it. Like, we know how to deal with it. But I can't imagine how intimidating it must feel to some owners when they see that yeah. coming towards them. And the collie owner doesn't give a shit because they're like, oh, I know they're not going to do any harm, but they're not considering that their dog's behaviours are very strange. They're not okay. And they can cause reactivity in other dogs, like 100% mm. by bullying them. Um, as I said, I live with three, three border collies. And Oscar's definitely a hooligan. Mr. Bear is not. 
Bear's a very fearful dog. He has no desire to control movement. The only the only desire he has is to get back in the fucking house. He just finds life so stressful. He hates being outside. Aww. And whether or not in time will tell that maybe it will come out that he is secretly is a closet car chaser, like that could happen in the future. But we've just never been able to get through to the stage that he is fully confident and when he was I guess the best that he's ever been before his hamstring injury. He was just, he was just lovely. He was just such a good boy. He had no interest in anyone or any other dogs. We did become slightly reactive to people after he got hit with a stick. And um, an old man hit him with a stick one day. He was running. They were all out together, actually, the three of them, on a country path. And I didn't see the old guy up ahead. And the dogs all just ran by him. And he must have got a fright too. So he whacked him with a stick. I don't know why he thought this was a good idea. Um, I didn't see any issue with him running past because they they had no interest in him. They were just running like up like the side of the path. Um, and he he caught Bear with the stick, and Bear turned, and then all three of them turned. And I was oh. like, "Oh, you've made a mistake there. Like <laughs> this isn't good." And then he hit him again with the stick because obviously all three of them were like, "Oh, you hit my brother." Um. And I was just like, let's go, let's go. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> this is bad. Yeah. Um, and it was only from there Bear actually started to exhibit proper reactivity outside to people. And I'd probably say from that point, we then had a lot of issues. And I guess you could blame me for that. Maybe I shouldn't have let my dogs run by them. But they had no interest whatsoever in that man. Like, they yeah. knew where they were going. And they weren't running close to him. They weren't touching him. They were, the path was wide enough. It was just... It's just one of those unfortunate situations where I guess it's just like you run into issues with cyclists. It's cycle up your arse. It's like, why? Just, just give me space. Yeah. And I guess some people just don't like dogs and that's fair enough. But yeah, it does take us back to that whole genetics and like sometimes there is nothing you can do about it. You especially see it a lot in German shepherds, I think, these days. Um, you know, people get them that live in the city and don't understand why their dog's reactive. And it's like, mm. well, your dog's not actually scared. Your dog's just a bit rude. And I think it's something that we come across a heck of a lot. It's frustrated dogs being misdiagnosed as fearful dogs. Just going back to what you were saying about collies causing reactions in other dogs as well. I actually have got two collies that live near me. And you know how you were saying like their owners just don't see their behaviour sometimes as, mm -hmm. as any any issue. Um, so early on yeah. in Ronnie's reactivity uh, journey I guess um, these two collies they're like they're great like he again he's got a ball and he just kind of he has them off lead everywhere everywhere um, so I've got opinions mm -hmm. on that but that's for another day uh, apparently he's got apparently he's got issues with it too he's got a lot of thoughts on that <laughs> yeah he does clearly <laughs> he's like yeah you tell them that story mum like I hate those dogs. Uh, no, but they don't get put on a lead and um, they don't get put on a lead anywhere they go. And uh, it was very early on in Ronnie's reactivity journey and I was working on him with a lot of things. And these two dogs just like run like full pelt past them. They didn't care about the other dog, like any dogs. They don't care. They're just so focused yeah. on a ball that it's like, like the collie comes out and they just totally break it, like don't 
pay attention to anything. And I'm like, oh, oh, where did I go? Where did I go? And Ronnie's like started shouting at the end of the lead, like lunging everything as they ran past. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy was just like, oh, nothing. Like it, it didn't, it didn't phase him at all. That my dog was so, so stressed about it. Um, but yeah, so I think collies causing reactions and and other dogs is is uh, something that I've had experience in. <laughs> Those damn collies. <laughs> and I think it is just because... And I think it's because we know that our dogs have no interest. But that doesn't mean that the other dogs know that. That those dogs have no interest. Um, and I guess as well, it burns out the frustration again. Having dogs running back, your dogs can't chase that. They can't join in with it. It's very understandable. Um, yeah. But going back to one of the other topics that we kind of mentioned there was dog trainers. Um, not to slate our own industry. But... Aside from confusion, confusing, fear and frustration, I find a lot of the time a huge issue is poor training. So poor application of behaviourism. So poor application of counter conditioning, desensitisation. So, for example, using a clicker for that, I just find so exceptionally frustrating. Um, why would you be using a clicker to condition a behaviour? Like, I don't know, I just, it just really unsettles me when people use clickers for that. I know that a lot of trainers doing that's fair enough, but I just don't think that's the place for them. And I think a lot of the time, timing's really bad. So I see a lot of collies that are frustrated and that are reinforced for watching things that they are reactive to. So, for example, they are fed while they're watching another dog. They're fed while they're watching cars go by from a young age. So some mm. trainers, um, some dogs that we've worked with have came from trainers that when they get a collie puppy, they will instantly take that dog out. And one of the parts of their puppy training with that dog will be to feed the dog as cars drive past so the dog doesn't become reactive to cars. And then, like, eight months later, I get an email from like that owner and they're like my dog's a pure raj but he was fine until we basically done this and you're like oh so frustrating sometimes it's better to just leave it alone until it's an issue like there are ways that you can prevent that from becoming an issue but feeding the dog for watching is literally like turning that switch on with the genetics you're like yes watch it yes it's good to watch cars it's good to be part of that when realistically, what I want my dog to do around traffic is just be disinterested and I don't want them to have any thoughts on it. So I'd much rather, mm. if I have a puppy, I would be doing disengagement. So every time my puppy looked away from the cars and looked at me, I would be clicking and treating then. Well, not clicking, I'd be marking yes and feeding. Um, I most certainly would not be feeding my dog whilst they're watching. I think in some cases, for me, some cases further down the line you do need to start feeding as they're watching in order to create disengagement but I think that's something that should be done with an experienced trainer that actually knows what they're looking for so I have used that method in the past with very certain dogs under a lot of control and it's worked but I've then never used it on other dogs it's very particular the dogs that benefit from that and it's almost like you can see that these dogs are fearful they do have a fearful response and they're maybe inherently nervous dogs whereas when you have very confident collies like oscar and holly my two that's the worst thing you could do is feed them for watching because they're just like fuck yes cars are mint let's go get them let's stop them Mm. from moving 
And the minute that you stop feeding them, they're like, well, I'm going to watch them again because it makes me feel good anyway. Like, watching for a herding breed is intrinsically motivating as it is. You don't need to add food to that. Just letting them watch is often enough. And there's so many times that we've had dogs come in that have been heavily reinforced for watching cars as puppies. And now they're super reactive to cars. Like, the, the owners can't get them to walk down the street because they're dropped and stay in. And what we have to then do is to cure down and then start to work backwards and unpick all of that behaviour. And it's so exhausting for the owners. You know, they think they've done the right thing. They went to a dog trainer that says that they know what they're doing and their dogs have become a hundred times worse because it's not a one size fits all with training. That's why I'm very wary about what we do put online that's fully accessible to non-dog trainers. Um and people that don't work with us personally because I don't want to fuck up any dogs and it's so easily done like I've done it myself with Oscar I fucked him up and that's taken a lot of hard work and graft to undo and a lot of learning but what we've got to realize is owners don't want to be dog trainers like very few of them want to be dog trainers they just want Mm. to have a dog that they can train that they can teach to do cool tricks that they can take on nice walks and they can drink their coffee and walk around the park that's all they yeah. want to do with their dog. And instead, we're creating a society where people have to become a dog trainer because dog trainers have fucked up their dog. It's just it's just so extremely frustrating. And it's something that I could talk all day about because I see it so much all the time. People creating interest in things that do not need to have an interest. It's the same yeah. sometimes with like your bully dogs, your bull breeds if they're hyper fixating on other dogs trainers but oh they're scared they're scared feed them for that watching it's the last thing you want to do because the dog is so switched on by that movement they're like oh my god move again so i can get you (laughs) exactly same as my collies are and i think that we make a huge mistake when trainers heavily reinforce for that staring and that watching without understanding what they're actually doing like these dogs are genetically programmed in a way that can make them be very dangerous dogs if you're not careful and it can lead the dog to be in danger and cause danger for other people and other dogs if they're not trained appropriately and I really wish that people that don't have huge successes with the breed or own the breed or live with the breed and understand the breed would just fuck off and not train them (laughs) that sounds terrible (laughs) but like just don't do it I very rarely work with staffies um, because that isn't my skill set and I'm well, aware of that. To be o- and I'm, I'm yeah. fine with it. Yeah. To be honest, I, um, Collie's confused the life out of me. So I definitely wouldn't say that that <laughs> would, be, it would be one of my skill sets. Um, so, yeah, everything's coming to you, Lana. <laughs> Any Collie's you can. <laughs> and it's definitely not me saying that you, unless you're me, you shouldn't do it. Like, that is not what I'm saying at all. But what yeah. I'm saying is that. If you're not a hundred percent in what you're doing, if you don't fully understand the motivation behind that behaviour, just don't do it. Like what we what we offer at House of Herders is we've started to offer a consultation service where we go out with other dog trainers and we assess the dog like the border collie. We watch them train that dog, we then report write a report on it and then we train the next session. So we go out and we teach the next session with that trainer and that dog and we show them the ropes and where they should be going. And the reason that we introduced that is because it shouldn't be it shouldn't be something that people are scared to ask for. Like trainers shouldn't be scared to ask for help. Like if you don't understand something, that is okay. But it's yeah. not okay to continue training that dog. Like that's not okay. If you don't know what you're doing, 
find someone that does and ask them to work with you. I've done it numerous yeah. times when I get like a staff in and quite a, like quite a decent case. And I think, actually, I really want to work on that. I'll send an email to my friend Kerry and I'll be like, Kerry, this case has come in. <clears throat> Do you want to take it and just fill me in on it or let me come along and let me watch? Because her bag yeah. is staffies and she's fucking good at it. So I don't see the point in me working with these dogs that I know it's not where my heart is. It's not my skill set. And it's somebody else's love and joy. So why not just give it to them? And why not just be part of that? Like, what did you do? What worked? Fantastic. I yeah. don't know. I don't need to and take learn from a case on at all. But I, yeah, exactly. There's so much to learn. Mm. And I think that there are huge similarities between, you know, staffies that are very turned on by movement and border collies. I think there's a lot of crossover there. But I don't know enough about the breed because I don't live with the breed. And it's not a breed that I'll ever live with because I'm allergic to them. But I do enjoy spending like time seeing how that training pans out. Like I love it when she'll send me videos and she'll be like, this is what we've done and this is it working out. And I'm like, that's so cool. And I'm fine with that. But it just really stresses me out that trainers just like, oh, it's just a collie. We'll just do standard lat and that'll fix it. It really won't. And you're probably just making that situation worse. And I think that is another huge cause as to why there's so many in rescue because trainers are just like, oh, we've hit the end of the road, the dog's now biting you, we need to put it to sleep. And it's like, well, no, actually, there's a lot you could have done. But because you don't specialise in it and you haven't spent time reading like old shepherd's books, you haven't spent time with charities that, you know, deal with that, they just end up fucking it up. And it's really frustrating when there are people out there that are happy to help and happy to advise that the farming community are not your fucking enemy. They want to help and they understand these dogs better than anyone. So it's just very frustrating that people, trainers choose to believe what they've read in a book over what people that work with the breed every single day do. Very, mm. very frustrating. I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's where it also comes down to poor timing. So when you're working with even like you know, a terrier, a lazap, so a labrador. If you don't have good timing, you're you're going to cause a lot of issues there as well because you could be clicking at the wrong point and when you're desensitising to something yeah. or you're trying to change an emotion and you're marking at the wrong time or you're feeding at the wrong time without a marker, you can make it a hundred times worse, can't you? Yeah, I think it's it's difficult sometimes to help clients understand what timing you need um because you can you can say it until you're blue in the face that timing is everything um and then sometimes like you might get a, little, a person that's a little bit slower or they're maybe not they're not coordinated enough to do it at that time so it's another um hurdle that we need to get over and make sure that we support the the, the client in doing so uh, but yeah, I think timing's a massive thing. And I think, like you said, you can read all the books you want. You can read any part of theory. And I, I always say, like, so this is what we're going to do. And in theory, this is what will happen. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it depends on the dog. So we need to just wait and see what's happening. And if it doesn't work, then we're going to need to alter it for the dog or for the human because um, maybe they're not getting their timing right. Maybe we need to introduce some, like maybe we do need to introduce a click because they're not getting their, their words on time. So yeah, I think 
Mm-hmm. Uh, theoretically, it can be easy enough. It's all black and white. But then when you're actually working with a dog in front of you, whether that is a collie, whether that's a terrier, you know, it's um, it's still timing is still going to be everything for that for that dog and it just depends I think you can have as much knowledge as you as you like uh, but the experience and and dealing with dogs in general or in your case like the the collies and the herding breeds it's the experience really that takes it that takes it to that next level I think and I think that's where it also comes in that dog owners do not want to be dog trainers. So with their timing not being spot on, like we need to find a way as a trainer to still enable that dog to learn, but mm-hmm. to not be forcing the owner to become something they don't want to be. And I think that timing is a real struggle with owners and understanding when to apply it. Um, whether you're working with positive reinforcement and you're marking for like that disengagement or whether you're adding in a punishment, you need to get it at the right time. If you're going to check a dog, you need to check it when the behaviour's happening or just before it. You can't just wait. Oh shit, they've pulled miles ahead and then check. Like that's not going to work. Just like it's not going to work if you've ignored the dog that's checked in with you three times before they've lost their shit and then you start feeding them. Yeah. So I think we have to be very mindful as to how we teach owners and how we put it across to them that this is how you train your dog. When you are when you are working with dogs that are very high drive, I think that owners do need to take a little bit of responsibility there that they do need to learn how to train their dog. So they do need to learn when to click. But I think yeah. it's our responsibility as dog trainers to make that learning accessible. So, like, to have fun games, like, one of my favourite games that I always ask people to do is to pick a word or to pick a physical movement. And during the end of parts of a TV show, click and move like a, you know, you get dry chickpeas. To have, like, mm. a bowl of chickpeas. And every time you see, like, that word or you see that body movement on TV, you have to click it and feed. Sometimes I've done it with my own dogs, to be honest. I've just been like, click, feed, because I'm like, what does it matter to them they're just happy to get like the clicker charged yeah but for owners i think it's a nice way for them to start to build their skill set and i think that in terms of owners we can introduce games like that which a lot of the time i actually find the owners are quite good about it like they're like okay i'll play this game it's stupid but i'll play it and they'll go along with it and i think when they've got a vague understanding we can then quite easily simplify the process enough that they can get their markers in on time and get the food delivered at the right time and when I first started as a dog trainer my timing was atrocious I've got really bad coordination so I'm really clumsy and I can just remember being in reactive rovers and I was so nervous and so stressed that we're teaching a peekaboo and I was just like I just couldn't do it like for years I couldn't do it but anytime Oscar came out to the centre he would do it like this for any other trainer right away. He's like, yes, I can do that. That's fine. And I'm like, but why won't you do it for me? And it's because my timing was terrible. Yeah. So I'm like one of those people that when like I find out that I'm bad at something, like I either just accept it and never do it again because like why do I make myself sad? But if it's something that I have to be good at, like I'm a dog trainer, timing is crucial. 
I will yeah. then put so much effort into being good at that to the point that anytime we have team meetings and we have like team meeting training sessions, I am exceptionally competitive and I'm not competitive in everyday life at all. Like I don't give a fuck. But every time we play training games, I am offensive. I'm like, I will <laughs> win. And if I like if I feel like I'm getting beaten, like I get pure livid about it. So like, last time <laughs> <laughs> it was even quite a while ago now, pre-COVID actually, when we had a team meeting that we were actually training on it. I won every single competition because I was just like, I'm going to win it, have to. And I guess part of that comes into the breed that I live with, the fact I have to be super snappy and super fast anyway. Um, and I think at that time I was probably the only collie owner, so it kind of made sense that that's why I was so snappy with it. But I just, I realised that for training Oscar, I had to be quick, I had to have that skill set. And if I didn't have that skill set, it was pointless trying to train them. But then when we look to the other side of it, so we take the owners out of the equation because as dog trainers, it's our responsibility to teach owners. But if we as dog trainers lack that skill set, how can we teach owners that skill set? It's impossible. And a lot yeah. of courses, as we know in dog training, as you say, are all theory-based. So you can read the theory on behaviourism and ethology, but that isn't going to make you a better trainer because training is about timing and a lot of it I feel is about feeling like you feel the situation like you mentioned earlier in this in our discussion that you feel the energy shifting and you do and you naturally learn to respond to that when you're out there training like 10-15 dogs a week you learn very quickly how to perceive that change and how to go with it and how to correct it to a degree and bring everything yeah. back on track whereas owners only have the experience of their dog so I think for new trainers, like one of the things that they really have to take responsibility for is their skill set. And your skill set isn't just how many books you can read and how many courses you can pass. How yeah. many one day courses you can go to. Like Gemma sent me a screenshot list this week and it was of a reactive dogs course, like a reactive dog certification. It was a one day workshop cost a lot of money and at the end of that one day workshop you were a qualified reactive dogs tutor to take classes wow. of reactive dogs now i don't know about you but there's absolutely no way that if you do not live with a reactive dog if you've never successfully trained a reactive dog that one day of theory-based training maybe a little bit of practical is going to arm you with the skills that you need to actually train a reactive dog because you don't know if it's fear or frustration at this point but if you don't yeah. have the very baseline skills of technical skills you're going to you're not going to be able to succeed are you it terrifies no, me that people mm -hmm. can be qualified you know it's yeah that's terrifying. that's what so, that's worrying yeah isn't it? It's absolutely uh -huh. insane. And I think there's so many like course providers that have courses and like you kind know, of like communities and things like that that just aren't pushy enough on the skill set that I think it must be very difficult for trainers to get that in person and actual that feedback on how well they are at training. Like how good is their timing, how good is their skill set? And I think the best way to learn the skill set is to just teach tricks. I've always come from positive reinforcement background, but uh, I, I know that I've had a lot of, I've been working with dogs since I've had my own dogs, which is five years. So I did a lot of, before I even went into the, theoretical stuff and, and got qualified, like I had a lot of experience in classes and I 
went to a shadow trainer's one-to-one, things like that. So, um, and then obviously, like, you also learn your own way to train. So you learn how, you learn through the dogs that you meet and each dog is obviously an individual. So you're, you, you might have some things that, that work um, theoretically in, in, a, in, a, in a book or on a course and you go, okay, well, how could I adapt that to suit this dog, for example? Um, and I think it is definitely all through um, experience and you can obviously build your knowledge with lots of different courses that that you can do, which there are some great ones, there are some not so great ones, but um, I definitely agree that you're, the way to figure out that timing is one, having a dog that you can train, (laughs) like that you can actually, like some people have like known some people that don't have dogs that are, that are going to be dog trainers. And I'm like, how can you put that work in without having your own dog that you can train. Um, but I definitely learned a lot of um, a lot about timing through tricks and through just games, pattern games and all of that kind of thing and how the dog responds to me. And yeah, so I think the timing and we need, we, is important and we need to make sure that we can put that across to the owners when we're teaching them. Uh, and I think if like I totally agree if you don't have the timing then how can you teach that to the the other the other owners the humans at the end of the lead of the dog yeah I think that's so true and tricks are so good for teaching you timing and I think they're often snubbed because you're like I want to spend all this time like maybe you have another day to train your dog and you're like, I want to spend this hour every day working on reactivity because it's making my life miserable. But then if you're not working on the other aspects of reactivity, like working on reactivity isn't just going out and, you know, clicking and treating for your dog, disengaging from dogs. That isn't all it is. Mm-hmm. And you need your alternative behaviours. And that's where your tricks come in. And I, I remember myself when I was first working with Oscar, I didn't understand why I had to teach a peekaboo. I didn't understand why I had to teach a spin or a pause up. I was like, yeah. I don't care about this. I just <laughs> want to stop my dog being a fucking rage. And that, I couldn't comprehend how teaching them peekaboo would do that. <laughs> like, I was like, why? Why would that ever help? I find that, like, tricks build communication, right? So the the better communication you have with your dog, then even if that peekaboo maybe necessarily won't work in a situation where you you need it to work maybe your hand target will work better because you've worked through the peekaboo right you it, it mm-hmm. can all be it can all be linked um so just because that peekaboo might not work in that situation that you need it to maybe if you ask them for a touch uh, then that's going to be that communication is already there so I definitely like I, again in my reactive class we teach tricks we have a week that we teach spin peekaboo pause on and it mm-hmm. just we kind of tell our owners like this is why and like we're we know we have proof that it works with our dogs with other dogs um, and it just helps to build the communication that you've got with each other I think as well 
I think I think that is the case, and I think sometimes, like especially for me, when I was in that class environment, I honestly think I was deaf because there was no subtitles. Like I don't know about you, but I can't listen without subtitles a lot of the time. It's ironic that we're doing mm-hmm. a podcast, actually. Um, I find like if I'm doing a fancy course, there has to be subtitles, and else I just I just can't like process information. Um, I think I process podcast well because I'm normally driving, so I'm doing another task at the same time but for me reactors i was just so stressed and so scared that my dog was going to maul every other dog in that room Mm. i couldn't comprehend anything that the trainers were saying like they would literally discuss it and then they'd come over and i'd have my own personal trainer that would then work me through like the exercises because i was just i was just a ball of anxiety i was so stressed out by it all so i think that having owners actually understand that is huge and see now I understand it but at that time I just couldn't I couldn't picture what the process was going to look like if that makes sense and that's why I try so hard to always bring Oscar to sessions with me so I can actually show owners how it's used yeah it's like if you know Oscar's stooging I'll have him doing hand targets I'll have him so Oscar does this thing just there where he jumps in the air with all four feet off the ground and he looks like insane when he does it and he he gets a lot of enjoyment from it so he'll do that he will he won't really do peekaboos but he does into the sides still doesn't do a peekaboo for me um he goes into the side <laughs> etc and I, I love that i can actually show them how this works and they can actually see from watching my dog while they're training their dog that's why i need these behaviors because they enable my dog to re-engage with me and it enable us to have that connection. And I think that by having Oscar there, or sometimes Bear, I'm able to convey that in not just a verbal sense, not just a written sense, but actually in practice, I can actually show them why this works, um, which I really like and I really try hard to do because I just accept that other people might be a bit like me and struggle to learn in certain manners and certain ways. So... I do think it does come down to the dog trainer has to have these skills in order to do it. Like the way you practice training is not on your clients. They're not your practice. There are people that are paying you and trusting you to help their dog be better and to live a better life. And if that's your only opportunity to practice those skills, like you're not doing your job right, you need to go take a step back and ask to borrow dogs. Offer to dog yeah. walk. Do one-to-one dog walks where you can honestly say to the owner, like, I'm not 100% on this, but I'm willing to give it a go. And if that owner's not got the time to train their dog and that's why they're looking to hire a private dog walker for one-to-one walks with their dog, they're very unlikely to refuse your help. And you're then going to be able to still make an income, but actually practice your skill set. We learned obviously through Oscar, but as dog walkers, we used to do two solo walks a day, me and my husband, and that would be reactive dogs. And our goal with those dogs was always to get them into the groups. And I would honestly say every dog bar one, because she was old and could not give a shit about group walks. <laughs> every other dog that we soloed became a group walking dog. And that was us putting that time in, putting the effort in and learning how they work. So like we had Salukis, we had Spaniels, we had so many different breeds that we worked so hard on. And it was a really nice way to learn because it was safe. The owners weren't training their dogs. They had no interest in training their dogs, but we did. Mm -hmm. And that gave us opportunity to build that skill set and to actually put those skills to use, the theory into practice. 
and it allowed us to do that. And I just think you really need to be careful when you're taking on a case that's maybe a bit above your pay grade and it's okay to reach out for help. Like I probably sound very judgy in this podcast and it's just because I'm so frustrated. Like if you are struggling as a dog trainer, please reach out to another trainer for help. Like we're not arseholes. I know some some trainers are arseholes, but (laughs) in general terms, when you have a trainer that is very passionate about a certain breed or a certain type of training, you'll find that they're actually so relieved to talk to other trainers and help them and educate them. You're not taking business away from that trainer and we know that. Like I know by going out and assisting other trainers of Border Collie cases, I'm not reducing my workload at all, but I'm increasing the livelihood of that dog's life. And I'm making that trainer a better trainer. And we're having really nice open discussions and we're all learning from it. And I just really wish that more people would just reach out within the community and ask for help. Because when that's how we met, was you reached out to me to help with your dogs. And yep. look where we are now. I know. <laughs> we talk every day about our dogs. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's just ridiculous that some people just see every other dog trainer as competition and don't want to yeah. show their weaknesses. Or yeah. I'm more than happy to show my weaknesses if it means that I'll be better at my job. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree with you on that. And I just wish that more trainers could feel safe enough to do that as well, just like we are. Our, pro- our best advice would probably be, there is a lot of advice out there and every dog is different so check out trainers social medias you know look at their posts watch their videos pop them a message get in touch with them and follow them for a while and make sure that's who you actually want to train with and that you're convinced that they are actually good enough at your at their job good training isn't polished and shiny good training is messy it's noisy it's sometimes looks absolutely terrible but at the end of the day, is that are both dogs comfortable in that situation? Are the owners happy? And as long as they are, I would say go for it with that trainer. I'm more concerned about the trainers that only ever show the end polished results. I like trainers that upload the messy bits to their stories and that they share like the bits that go wrong. And I really think that we need to be doing more of that. So Yeah, I agree. I think as well, look for a trainer that's honest about even their own dogs. Like I've had a lot of yeah. feedback um like with my dogs I'll post a lot about them and I'll say like this hasn't been this isn't ideal but this is what I'm working through um and I've had a lot of feedback from my current clients that are like that is a breath of fresh air because it's so easy for um us as trainers we want to share our successes we want to make sure everyone knows how much we've helped these dogs and these humans but I think it's just as important, like you say, to to share the the downsides of training and what you're actually going through as an individual as well. Like I think I said this earlier on the on the podcast, but I'm like, dog trainers make mistakes, and as long as you can recognise that and you can work towards improving whatever mistake you've made, then you're on to a winner I think so I think look out for someone who's honest and open and who's willing to get into a discussion about what they're going through and what things don't work and what they're going to do to to change that as well. Well that's us reached the end of the episode already. Dog training is forever evolving and we strive to keep an open mind and the dogs at the centre of everything that we do. 
You can find us across social media platforms using our tag at House of Herders and we would love for you to join in that conversation with us. Until next time, bye!